So Pam Gooms, would you please come up on stage and join me? I should wait up there. So I want to introduce you to Pam Gooms. If you've ever Googled searched somebody, you learn a lot. <laughs> so Pam is going to be our teacher today, and she's going to be teaching about um, uh, human traffic. I didn't want to say sex slaves. But <laughs> um, so I went on to the Free the Girls website, which is the organization Pam belongs to, and one of her friends wrote this about her. She is the director of strategic partnerships. Pam comes from a long line of women who believe in the responsibility of making the world a better place. Callie Pam, as she has affectionately called in our staff meeting, spends her time collaborating with brands, companies, and partnerships that support the work of the Free the Girls. As the longest tenured employee of Free the Girls, she has been responsible for the comings and goings of nearly 20 million bras, thousands of volunteers and donor, donors, and everything else that makes Free the Girls what it is. She in, she's inspired by the work of our amazing program partners and the braveness and boldness of the women in our program. She is a Northwestern Wildcat alumni and a fan who loves wine tasting in Napa Valley. <laughs> <laughs> the beach and her beautiful family. This is written by one of her co-workers. So, Pam, it's up to you. Well, good morning, Crosswalk. I'm so glad that you're here. So glad for those of you who are joining us online this morning. Um, my profile picture there, if you see it up there on the screen, that's actually taken at the Indiana Dunes, about 10 minutes away from where I used to live until I moved here to the beautiful Napa Valley. So um, I feel like uh, one of the questions that, that grown-ups like to ask kids, um, and they've been doing it for a long time, is what do you want to be when you grow up? And when I was a kid, and maybe when you all, some of you were kids, I feel like the list of things that I could be when I grew up was kind of finite. And because I was a girl, the list was even smaller. But my mom was a teacher. Uh, she taught at a small, rural, K through 12 Indiana school that had about 400 kids in the whole school. And she was one of those teachers that wasn't just a teacher. She was a high school English teacher, and she was one of those people that helped kids on their journey. And I had a grandmother who, in the 1950s, in the small town in Indiana where I lived, she had helped start a school for children who were diagnosed with developmental disabilities. And that was at a time when um, kids who had disabilities uh, were not guaranteed an education. There was no inclusion, and so that was, that was a really big deal. So I had grown up with, um, with strong women, and I had this idea that it was within my power to sort of be able to, to fight injustices, but I didn't really know what that would look like when I, when I grew up. But um, I was born in the 1960s, and so even at a young age, I knew, I knew about the civil rights legislation. And then in 1972, when the Equal Rights Amendment came on the scene, I was like, 
well, okay, like things are moving in this direction. There's, there's going to be a world where there's more equality, where there's more equity, where there's opportunities for everyone. Um, and then when I got to high school in 10th grade, I took a, a class called the term paper. And we spent the whole semester writing a term paper about something back in the days before the internet when you had to go to the library and you had to type out your paper. And uh, the teacher had given us a list of things that we could possibly spend our semester researching and writing about. And there was something on the list that I was not familiar with. It was um, apartheid. And I had never heard of apartheid. I did not know what it was. It, um, it was the system of racial inequality, systemic injustice perpetrated against black people in the country of South Africa. And I spent the whole semester doing this like deep dive into apartheid. And I was, um, quite frankly, sort of surprised that something like that still existed in the world. But it did, and, and it impacted me, the things that I found out in school that year. And then in the fall of 1981, I was at a high school football game. The high school that I attended, Valparaiso High School, was, um, was pretty much an all-white high school. There was one black girl that attended there. And we were playing, uh, the opposing team was Gary Roosevelt. And if you know any movie, or excuse me, any music trivia, you know that the Jackson Five came from Gary, Indiana. That was where they were from. And so that school was a predominantly black school. And there at that oh. football game, at the beginning of the third quarter, there was this loud boom. And there on the practice field, um, just to the southwest of where they were playing football, where we were playing against this predominantly black team, some kids, we later found out, they had let, lit this big, huge cross on fire. And this was not, you know, this was not the 1950s Deep South. This was 1981, Indiana. And I can't tell you all of the things that I felt that day, but it was, you know, it was shameful and it was embarrassing and it was a lot of things. And for as bad as I felt about it, I could not imagine how the other team, how our guests, you know, they were the guest team, how they must have felt. And um, sort of from, that was a pivotal moment for me as well because that was sort of the point in time when it became clear to me that you could pass whatever kind of laws you wanted, but that didn't mean that people were gonna abide by them. It didn't mean the people's mindsets were going to change. And so I marched off to college in the fall of 1983. I went to a school in Washington, D.C. And I thought, or it was my plan, I was going to be an attorney. And I don't know, are there any attorneys out here in the room? Anybody who's a lawyer? Nobody who's a lawyer. Um, uh, but in my constitutional law class, they used the word argument a lot. Everything was an argument for this and an argument for that. And I didn't really like to argue, like that was not really my thing. I was kind of conflict avoidant. So the next semester, or the next school year, I transferred to a different school and I decided that I was going to study sociology because I wanted to learn the reasons why people did the things that they did. And so um, that, was, uh, that was a good major for me. 
And um, it was kind of the very beginnings of this career that I've had, and now I've worked um, for this anti-trafficking organization for the past 10 years, putting together or putting into use some of the things that I've learned. I wanted to, um, you know, just to preface the things that I was going to say uh, with the fact that up on the screen you're going to see some slides that say "Free the Girls" down in the corner of them, and I'm. I'm here this morning not promoting a particular agenda or not saying that you have to donate to this nonprofit, but I'm using the slides that I have access to as resources because they've got some really good information. And so we're going to go through some slides. The month of January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And so we're going to start out with some slides that give some um, sort of statistics about human trafficking. When I stood up here, I think it was the, the very beginning of January, I kind of rattled some things off the top of my head, and then when I went back and did my homework, I realized um, that, that some of the statistics I had given you were outdated, that the numbers have actually um, gotten worse in the 10 years that I've been doing this. So um, right this minute on our planet, there's approximately 50 million people who are victims of human trafficking, 50 million people. That's one in nearly 150 people who were enslaved in human trafficking on any given day. When I stood up here a couple of weeks ago, I think the number I used was 41 million. Uh, the number has gotten worse, as I said. Human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal industry in the world. The fastest growing criminal industry in the world. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later on. Estimated annual profits, $150 billion made each and every single year in the buying and selling of people as a commodity. $5,000 every second, every second of every day. Globally, um, two-thirds of the profits from forced labor were generated by forced sexual exploitation to the tune of $99 billion every year. And 80% of the victims of human trafficking are subject to re-exploitation due to the lack of sustainable job opportunities. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later as well. But this is um, just kind of an overview of the, the lay of the land, as it were, for human trafficking. And I know it can, um, it can start to feel like a lot. So I'll say this now, that towards, um, towards the end, there's going to be information and resources about things that you can do to, um, to be engaged in the fight against human trafficking. So um, it's a little bit small, I know, but this is the definition of human trafficking. They call this, uh, actually, it's called the AMP model. AMP stands for Action, Means, and Purpose. This definition of, um, of human trafficking came out of um, the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, which didn't become a law until the year 2000. It, um, it's only been since the year 2000 that human trafficking became a federal crime. 
So in order for something to be human trafficking, it has to have something from each of these columns. It doesn't have to have all the things in every column. It just has to have one of the things in each column. And I'll read it because I know it's kind of um, small and maybe hard to read. So the action part of action, means, and purpose, it's the action of inducing, recruiting, harboring, transporting, providing, or obtaining a person by, and this is the means part, force, fraud, or coercion. And the purpose part is for the purpose of exploitation, involuntary servitude, peonage, debt bondage, slavery, or any commercial sex act involving a minor. Um, worth a mention that there's no such thing as a child prostitute. That's not um, a thing. Any child who's been trafficked is always a trafficking victim. Human trafficking means that someone is financially benefiting from another person's oppression or exploitation. Because if there's not profit or financial benefit, then it's not human trafficking. You can be trafficked, or excuse me, you can be exploited without being trafficked, but you can't be trafficked without being exploited. There doesn't have to be transportation. You don't have to be moved across any border, any city, state, county, or country line. Um, traffic or transportation is not required. You can be trafficked in your own home. And the last thing to note is there, do, there don't have to be physical restraints. You don't have to be, you know, handcuffed or um, tied to something. Emotional manipulation, um, fraud, threats of violence to your person or to your family, all of those things constitute forcing uh, another individual. So important, um, as I've said, to know there, there has to be something from each of those columns. If there's not something from each of those columns, then it could be some other uh, illegal activity. It could be kidnapping. It could be human smuggling. It could be um, commercial sex. It could be um, sexual assault. It might be something else, but has to have something from each of those columns in order to be human trafficking. So human trafficking is split into two main categories. There's what we call labor trafficking and sex trafficking. Um, trafficking occurs in every country in every socioeconomic status. It's um, the, the perpetrators and the victims uh, tend to be either at the bottom or at the top, less so in the middle. But um, all of those things constitute labor trafficking. If you can read those up there on the screen, it says forced labor, uh, debt bondage, mm -hmm, involuntary domestic servitude, forced child labor, and child soldiers. I don't have that written down, and it's kind of small there. So um, labor trafficking, unfortunately, affects you whether you realize it or not, because um, each and every single one of us, either in our homes, on, the, um, on our person, that cell phone that you've got in your, in your pocket or in your purse, 
might have been made with um, some form of labor trafficking. There used to be this, this website, or the website still exists. I don't send people there because um, it's kind of outdated, but somebody had built this website in 2011, and it was really cool and, and interactive, and you put in specific information about yourself, like um, where you lived, what kinds of things you had in your home, what your spending habits were, how often you went out to eat, things like that. And then it did this calculation and it told how many slaves worked for you. And the, the site hasn't been updated since 2011, so I don't send people there anymore. But when I first did that calculation back in 2011, you know how many slaved, slaves worked for me? Take a guess. What's that? 2,000? No, it wasn't 2,000. It was, um, it was actually 32. 32 slaves that worked for me, um, whether it was, you know, the, the things that I consumed, the buying choices that I made, it took 32 people to, um, to uh, make my lifestyle work. So um, these are the forms uh, of things that constitute sex trafficking. I don't have these written down either, but remote interactive sex acts, personal sexual servitude, pornography, residential brothels, outdoor solicitation, ex escort services, temple prostitution, child brides, and child marriages. So that doesn't mean that, that all forms of pornography involve sex trafficking, but they certainly can. Um, all of those things fall under the realm of um, sex trafficking. Worldwide, four out of five victims of sex trafficking are women or girls, but that means that 20% are not. In the United States, 36% of child victims are boys, and in New York City, that num number jumps to 50%. So, who are traffickers? Traffickers are men, traffickers are women, the important thing to know is that um, worldwide, globally, two-thirds of traffickers are known to their victims. So um, the two biggest trafficking happens predominantly out of vulnerabilities, and the two biggest vulnerabilities for um, someone to be trafficked, poverty and isolation. Poverty and isolation. So um, worldwide, um, especially in, in sex trafficking, it's common for traffickers to groom their victims over time. So if you're a parent, be aware of who your kids are interacting with online or in apps. If you're a student and you notice something um, like a friend or a classmate beginning to withdraw after meeting somebody new or in person, if you're a healthcare provider or a teacher, ask those questions. Um, as we saw by the, the numbers that I presented at the very beginning with those giant size um, profits every year, trafficking is a very lucrative endeavor and that's because um, of a number of things including that the, um, the punishment doesn't always fit the crime. But historically it's been a high profit, low risk endeavor. Studies show that sexual exploitation can yield a um, a return on investment ranging from 100% to 1,000%, while labor trafficking can produce profits of up to 50%.
there's very few aspects of the global economy that aren't benefiting from modern-day slavery, human trafficking. Who are the victims? Victims, all ages, all colors, all genders, all sexual orientations. As we've said, um, it's, uh, it's pretty common for the victims to know their traffickers, but victims may not self-identify out of fear for themselves, fear for their families, um, for the trauma that they've been involved with. It's, it's common for women who've been trafficked to be charged with prostitution. And law enforcement has historically been um, not good at recognizing and accurately assessing victims of trafficking. And I can tell you this, it's not a somewhere else problem, it's a problem that exists right here in the county that we live in, in Napa County. Victims, typically, um, it's not like that dramatic sort of thing that you see on TV movies where, you know, somebody's kidnapped and they're, they're held in a cage. It doesn't really um, look like that because that would be a hard thing to do. That would be a lot of work. But um, traffickers are pretty smart. And so over time, they might groom someone to think that our, they'll act as if they're a boyfriend to, um, to gain their trust. And then over time, the situation turns into something else. But as I've said before, over 60% of um, traffickers are known to their victims. And in the United States, with child sex trafficking, that number is over 90%. So, a little bit about Free the Girls and um, my history with the organization and how I became involved. Um, my Free the Girls story, oddly enough, starts with Facebook. In 2011, I was um, on Facebook and I saw that a friend of mine had purchased a t-shirt from this organization called Free the Girls. And I was like, what's this? So I poked around a little bit on social media. I went to the Free the Girls website, which was um, pretty basic at that point in time. And I was like, what is this organization doing? They were collecting donated bras, and those donated bras, people were taking them in suitcases to Mozambique, and women who were trafficking survivors were selling those bras, which all just seemed really incredible to me that like something like that could work. But I thought, hey, I can do this. I can, um, I can collect some bras from my friends. So I had a little party at my house, and um, I went to the local appliance store and I got a, um, an empty dishwasher box and I decorated it and I put it in my living room. I thought I was, you know, being really clever and I was hoping to fill that box up. So I filled it up and um, I sent it off to the place where they were collecting the bras, which at the time was Denver, Colorado. And this was in the fall of 2011. And then in the spring, or actually in, um, it was either January or February of 2012, CNN found out about Free the Girls. And at that point, we hadn't like shipped bras to anywhere. People were bringing them in suitcases, but they found out about what Free the Girls was doing, and they profiled them on their international channel as part of a, a three-part documentary called their, um, it was called the Freedom Series. And so they profiled Free the Girls on their international channel. And when, 
when CNN does a story about your nonprofit, like it goes from being this really small, like grassroots bras in a suitcase to like this explosion. And so um, the pastor of my Indiana church, he had gone to seminary and to college actually with the man whose idea this was. He was, um, was and is a missionary in Mozambique and he was helping different populations and he saw um, you know, somebody selling bras uh, off the, the tines like of an umbrella in a suitcase, or excuse me, in a secondhand market in Mozambique. And he's like, is this a thing? Would this work? So the pastor of my Indiana church, he came to me and he knew that I was good at like sorting things and organizing things and that I, I cared about you know, justice in the world. So he asked me, if we move the bra collecting here to Indiana to our church, would you be in charge? And I didn't really know what I was saying yes to at the time. Like, I said yes. And it was my vision that we would, we had like a broom closet where the, the furnace was of the church, which was like about the size of someone's bathroom. And I'm like, yeah, we'll just put the bras in there. And then every once in a while, like, you know, we'll, sort those bras and put them in a box. Well, um, the way that it looks right now, Free the Girls receives about 30,000 bras every month. And so um, my, my broom closet vision was not nearly um, big enough. But it, was, it took me sort of saying yes to getting that ball rolling. And I started out originally as their inventory manager. And what I do right now, um, my fancy title is the Director of Strategic Partnerships, but it just means that I talk to, um, I talk to businesses, I talk to employees, I talk to sometimes to churches and to people about the ways that they can be involved in fighting human trafficking. And human trafficking is actually like, it's a college level class right now, and so the things that I'm talking to you about today, like if this was a college class, this would be like the first part of the first day. So it's just kind of a very broad level view um, of what trafficking is about. But when you're helping someone who's a, um, a trafficking survivor, there's three R's, they call it to that. There's the rescue, which is taking someone out of the situation. There's rehabilitation, which is all the different parts of um, helping them with physical and emotional um, needs that they might have, getting therapy, things of that nature. And then there's the reintegration. And when um, I heard Dar talking about, uh, it's called Deborah's house, correct? Like that's kind of what they're doing is the reintegration. It's job skills training and it's helping women put their lives back together. And the way that they're able to start doing that is through the sale of these bras that people are donating. So it's the bras, it's the job skills training that's helping them to be able to put their lives back together. So um, there's a video that we're gonna see now that Jar's gonna play for us that kind of gives you the broad overview of what, um, of what Free the Girls is. Para enfrentar a 
gente ali na rua. A gente precisava beber. E para tirar o que é a vergonha. A dificuldade foi grande. Porque até a chegar o ponto de nós irmos fazer a prostituição era para dar de comer os nossos filhos. Outras princesas se conseguem levar outras coisas. Além de sondear, já não sei. Saiu as seja, voltou a 17. Já não consigo me encontrar com outras princesas. E nas outras também usam o WhatsApp. E passam as fotografias a suas clientes. Verdade? Essa é outra forma. Algumas vão aos mercados a vender. Y también algunas ya tienen sus locales propios. ¿Cómo? Entonces también se les dan clases a ellas, ¿verdad? Para que ellas aprendan a manejar el dinero que ahora ya tienen. Ayudar a la mujer primero a saber que a pesar de las situaciones que ellas hayan pasado, tienen oportunidades para cambiar su futuro. Que la idea es que sean independientes. Para devolver la dignidad que ellas tienen, que ellas perderon la narua. Hoy en un sueño es de comprar terreno para los hijos construir, ellos estudiar, casar, salir con las mujeres. E eu ficar aqui em casa da Valsa da minha mãe. É muito satisfatório. As mulheres que graduaram aqui, a maior parte delas já tem seu negócio, já tem o seu espaço, estão a construir. Mis hijos tienen lo que yo no pude tener desde mi niñez, entonces ese es mi objetivo, lograr algo mejor para mis hijos. Si no hubiese sido por ellos que hubiesen estado en este país, créanme que no sé cómo hubiese sido.
Para mí la libertad significa volar, ser libre como los pájaros. So that's the, um, the overview of what our programs look like. Uh, the first language that you heard being spoken was Portuguese, which is what they speak in Mozambique. That's one of the countries uh, where we have a program. El Salvador and Costa Rica are the two other countries, and we're hopefully going to be expanding our programs uh, in the near future into Honduras and possibly another country. In 2022, we developed, in partnership with another nonprofit, a curriculum, three curriculums, actually, of job skills training that are specific for human trafficking survivors. And to my knowledge, they're the only curriculum that exists in the world for job skills training for trafficking survivors. And so those curriculum can also are freestanding. They could be used by trafficking survivors that aren't involved in the bra selling program down the road. But um, just quickly, uh, the question gets asked often, why bras? What's, um, what's special about bras? Bras are a safe opportunity because if you're a trafficking survivor, a sex trafficking survivor, who were the people who were paying for your services? They were men. And so it's avoiding the trigger of the exchange of money with a man. Um, a bras, bras are a luxury item in the countries where we work. They show how cosmopolitan you are, how, um, you know, that you're more modern. Bras allow women to participate in their local economy, to, um, to learn how the local economy works. And you're selling a bra, it involves sales. And for these women, sales are you know, something that they've been involved in before. They've been forced to sell their bodies. And so um, that's why bras work. We're going to um, go through now some resources that will um, help you to be more educated about trafficking, because I know it's been a lot of information this morning, and I don't want you to feel, to leave feeling like, oh my God, you know, 50 million people, I can't help 50 million people, but maybe, maybe you can help a couple of people, maybe you can make some choices that are going to impact people's lives that you've never met. Um, one of the things I think that's true about you know, human trafficking um, is, at least for me, once I knew about it, I could not unknow it. And so there's choices that you can make um, you know, that are going to impact people's lives. So uh, coming up for not this slide, but the next slide, I'm going to ask you to take your phone out. So, Depending where your phone is, if you need to get into your purse, if you need to find it in your pocket, um, I'm giving you permission to take out your phone in church. That's probably not going to happen anytime super soon, so be ready. So um, I know in the email that went out there was a list and there were links to some of these things. If you're just finding out today about human trafficking, if this is you know new information for you, Polaris Project has a lot of great resources um, about human trafficking. 
ILO, the International Labor Organization, they were the ones where all of the statistics came from uh, that I used earlier in the presentation. The Human Trafficking Hotline, that's another great place to um, find out more information. The nonprofit that I work for is called Free the Girls. So again, the links are in that email. This is the, the reason why I told you to take out your telephone, which is to put this number in your phone as one of your contacts if you don't already have it now. So you can take a picture of it or you, know, you can do it now as a contact. The number is 888-373-7300. Eight 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 three seven three seventy eight eighty eight. In 2021, which is the last year they report this information, 50,000 calls were made to the human trafficking hotline. Um, since its inception, the trafficking hotline has identified a, almost 165,000 victims. And those are calls that were made lots of times by everyday, ordinary, average citizens like you and me. Um, probably 20 years ago, I, was, I still remember it to this day, I was in a Panera Bread and I saw something that was just, it wasn't right, it was weird, but I didn't know about human trafficking, I didn't have the language, I certainly didn't have this phone number. So um, if you see something, say something, I know, in restrooms and um, airplanes now, you'll often see this number. Other resources, these are really great resources for, um, for being a good consumer and they have apps that you can put on your phone. Sweat and toil and good on you help you to make good decisions about the things that you're buying. Just real quickly, some of the, um, the things that are commonly made with trafficked labor are chocolate and coffee. Chocolate and coffee are two of the things that are most commonly made using you know, kids as child laborers. And so we're um, you know, trying to help you avoid doing that. So sweat and toil, good on you, are the ones that have apps. Freedom Business Alliance is another place that you can find out more information. And then starting on Monday, January the 30th, there's going to be a Bible study that Emily Vigoda and I are leading called The God of Biblical Justice, which is about subjects related to justice. It's not specifically about trafficking, but if some of our conversations lead us that way, uh, you know, that'll be a place that we can go. And so you're welcome to join us. It's open to anybody. It's going to be in Pastor Pete's office. It's going to take place for eight different Monday evenings from 7 o'clock until 8.15. I didn't realize when, um, when I said yes to doing this that they'd have a Bible verse already picked out. But this verse here is from... Um, is from the book of Luke, chapter 4. It's one of the verses that we're going to go over in our, um, in our study. And so I'm just going to read this little excerpt from it. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, 
to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's one of the verses that we're going to be taking a little bit closer look at because we can always ask ourselves, you know, what's Jesus's position on this? And Jesus is always about good news. Um, just like that verse at the beginning, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Those are the things that Jesus is asking us to do. And he's, um, he's asking us in this case, to do something. It's not enough to just know the information. Um, there are things that you have to do, or things um, that I pray that you'd feel called to do about this. So you don't have to work for an anti-trafficking organization to take steps to be involved in fighting human trafficking. And I don't want you to be overwhelmed by the magnitude of the numbers. Um, you just have to say yes to doing that one thing today um, for making that choice. So um, I ask if you would pray together with me. God, you have created all people in your image with worth and dignity and purpose. Yet we know that our world is filled with those who oppress and deny the worth of your children, even in benefiting from the suffering of others. We pray that you will reveal to us any ways that we participate in this oppression. We pray that you would give us your eyes, that we might see the suffering around us. We pray for our hearts, that we might take action in love to see all people free. Guide us, open our hearts, open our ears, and help us to see as you see. Amen. Thank you. Sure. How do we use that number if we see something? Are we supposed to ask the girl? Or are we just supposed to call or give her that number the, the question that, um, that Carrie's asking is how do you use that, that trafficking number and the response to that is um, to a certain degree you have to use your judgment but most of the time if someone is in a situation where they're being trafficked they're not at liberty to, you know, to use the phone or the, like we realize they may not know or even be aware that they are a trafficking victim. So what you're doing is you're calling that phone number yourself and you're reporting that situation. I have seen, and they route it to the right law enforcement authorities. I have seen something that does not look right. I have seen something that makes me suspect that it might be trafficking. There's, there's also a number that you could text, but I didn't want to make it too complicated. I just wanted to make it easy. So check out that human trafficking hotline website, and there's going to be a lot more information on there than what I could give you, you know, in this short period of time. So excellent question. Thanks, Carrie. Thank you, Pam. Would you all join me uh, with closing with the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those that trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. A lot of those resources went out in an email. If you did not get the email, if you uh, in the buckets on the table is a little white piece of paper. You can write your email address on there, and I'll include you on our Crosswalk Connection email that goes out. That, that's where we put the links for a lot of the resources she was sharing with you. So I just want to share with you, often we wonder why things like this go on, and it, what we can do about it, all of us can do something. We are asked to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So pray about it. Pray about where God's leading you to get connected with this. Come to the Monday Night Bible Study and learn more. Thank you. Have a great Sunday. Go home and watch the football games so we can figure out who's playing. <laughs>